This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, we are looking this morning at verses 11 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For they knew it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So, when Pilate saw he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water, washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Let us pray. Our Father, we pray now as we come to your word uh, that you would lead us by your spirit into a right understanding of the scriptures. Father, these things are spiritually discerned. Father, we pray that we would not merely comprehend mentally the things that have happened here and that are described here, but that these truths would be very personal to us as we realize that these things affect us, that these things were done for us, for our eternal salvation. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Jewish leaders had a problem. They wanted to get rid of Jesus, and they actually, to their satisfaction, had found Jesus to be guilty 
of a charge that called for death. Just one problem. They couldn't put anyone to death. Now, under their Roman overlords, that authority, that power had been taken from them. That was something Rome reserved to herself. And so they needed the authority of Rome, the uh, approval of Rome, uh, for Jesus to be executed. But they also had another problem. The charge they had found against Jesus, that of blasphemy, was not one that would carry a great deal of weight with the Romans. The Romans would see it simply as an intramural debate, just a squabble among these troublesome Jewish people about their own ways and customs. And so they knew that if they were going to get the Romans to do what they wanted, they had to come up with another charge, one that would gain traction with the Roman rulers, one that would get their attention. And they knew precisely how to push the Romans' buttons in order to get their attention and get what they wanted. What tended to get the attention of Rome quicker than anything else was the threat of an uprising, the threat of a rebellion. Rome was very tolerant with people's customs, with their culture, with their religion, with their ways, but when there was any threat whatsoever to the authority of Rome and the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, then Rome responded swiftly and harshly. And so they knew what they had to do. Earlier in chapter 27, we read after that uh, hearing that Jesus had with the, uh, with the high priest, we read that the chief priests, the elders of the people, took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Matthew then interrupted the narrative as we'd seen to follow up what happened to Judas Iscariot. We looked at that last week. And then he resumes with the verse that is here before us, verses 11 through 26. Uh, as we look at this passage, we see in the first place three events that happen. The first event that happens here is Jesus hearing before the Roman governor, Pilate. Uh, now, Pilate uh, was the Roman governor. The term here is a general term. He was the procurator. Uh, he had near absolute authority over this area that was under his rule. And Pilate, as a man, was um, a very harsh and even cruel leader. Uh, far from trying to understand the Jews or be sensitive to their peculiarities, he seemed to delight in crossing them. He seemed to take some perverse pleasure in, uh, in, in stirring them up. There were any number of incidents that had occurred during the ten years that Pilate was the governor uh, over Judea, uh, A.D. 27 to A.D. 37, about ten years that he uh, held this position. Uh, there was a time once when he had Roman ensigns or banners brought into Jerusalem overnight that had the image of the emperor on them, something that was offensive to the Jews to have this, Im this image there in their city and even in, in temple precincts. 
And so immediately there was a protest, and uh, Pilate refused to hear them for five days. But on the sixth day, he admitted this crowd that had come to protest uh, these these banners. And um, he uh, had soldiers surround the group he had admitted and threatened them to cease and desist, or he would have them all killed. Well, according to uh, Josephus, the historian, the Jews all bowed down and bared their necks, preferring to die rather than to allow this desecration of their city. Uh, somewhat out of, out of character, Pilate, uh, Pilate uh, yielded and uh, removed the banners. There was another time that Pilate had taken temple funds, Corban, Remember Jesus talking about those who couldn't help their father and mother because they had, they had given the money. Uh, it was Corban. It was devoted to God. It was devoted to the temple. So they couldn't obey the fifth commandment. And he says you keep your traditions and disregard the law of God. Well, that Corban was the temple treasury. And Pilate had taken some of that and used it to construct an aqueduct in Rome. And again, with uh, predictable outrage on the part of the Jews, a crowd had come to protest, and, and Pilate actually had some of his soldiers dressed in civilian clothing intermingle among them, and then at a given signal, turn on them and begin to beat them and attack them. Uh, and so that, that kind of typified the relationship that Pilate had with the Jews. And it's this man who is here before us and before whom Jesus appears. And knowing a little of that background helps to hear the, the kinds of things going on here and maybe to help understand why Pilate says some of the things that he says and responds to the Jews in the way that he does and, the way, and why they respond to him. There's no love lost here on either side. And so Jesus st- stands before Pilate. And uh, typically when there would be a hearing like this, um, the, the accusers would, would make their statement and then the, the governor, uh, the judge, would hear from the accused, hear his defense, maybe meet with him several times. He would then meet with his advisors, they would come up with a verdict, and the verdict would be carried out pretty much immediately. Uh, Roman justice was, was efficient uh, and swift. And that's what's taking place here. Presumably at this point, Pilate has already heard from the Jewish leaders, given the question that he asks, uh, which, by the way, all four Gospels lead off with this question to Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? And so that's what uh, presumably Pilate has been hearing. Now, the story's changed. Remember, their outrage with Jesus was blasphemy. He claimed to be the Messiah. Obviously, he wasn't. So he claims to be. This is blasphemy. That's not what gets to Pilate. Because, again, they knew that would carry no weight. What they present Pilate with is this man claims to be a king, which was half true because the Messiah was seen as a royal figure, uh, a ruler, a king. But certainly is bigger than that for the Jews, but he is no less than a king. That's the slant they give to Pilate is he, he claims to be a ruler. He claims to be a Jewish king. And they knew precisely what Rome would think of that. And so Pilate comes to Jesus and he says to him the same question in all four Gospels. Are you the king of the Jews? Not an easy question for Jesus to answer, is it? And Jesus responds with an answer very similar to a couple of other answers we've already seen, which is translated in the ESV. You have said so. You you say or so you say or something like that, or if that's how you want to put it. Again, this Somewhat ambiguous answer, because if Jesus says, yes, I am a king, 
it's not so much he's concerned about the, the reaction he would receive personally, which would be brutal. He knew that was coming anyway. But um, he would be saying yes to wrong impressions, to a wrong idea. He knew what Pilate thought because he knew what the Jews thought of the kind of king the Messiah would be. And so he couldn't very well say yes to it because that would say yes to these wrong ideas about his kingship. And on the other hand, if he said no, that would be untrue because he is a king. He is the king of the Jews. He is the king of God's people, of all Jew and Gentile who would believe in him. So again, not an easy question to answer. You know, when Judas says, Lord, is it I? Actually, no, he said, teacher, is it I? The other disciples said, Lord. Judas said, master, is it I? Uh, Jesus says, you've said so. Uh, Sort of an ambiguous answer. Uh, the same thing happens uh, earlier when Jesus appears, you know, before the uh, the high priest and gives this 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 answer. Um, it is interesting if you look at John's account. There's actually more that's said here about the nature of Jesus' kingship in John 18. Uh, Jesus does talk a little bit more with Pilate than Matthew records. Uh, that he is a king, but his kingdom is not of this world. If his king, kingdom were of this world, his servants would fight in his behalf. There would be an armed rebellion, a coup, a revolt. Uh, Jesus says, my kingdom is one that's based on truth, which, of course, leads to Pilate's famous question, what is truth? Now, Matthew doesn't record all those details, just sufficient to leave it with this, this main question, are you the king of the Jews? And, you know, if this was all Jesus had said, even hinting that it might possibly be true, that would probably be it, Pilate would act. But given what John tells us, that there was more was said, Pilate determines that Jesus is not the kind of threat that the Jews seem to be making him out to be. Whatever he is, Pilate determines he's not a threat to the peace and order of Rome. And so he says, you have said so. And then verse 12, when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Why? I mean, it's irrelevant. Whatever charge they bring, they're going to bring. It doesn't matter what he says. He knows what must happen, and so he doesn't answer. And even Pilate is amazed at this. He says, don't you hear what they're saying? This was unusual. Usually an accused man before Pilate was taking every opportunity to protest his innocence, to answer his accusers, and Jesus said nothing. Pilate says, what's wrong? Don't you hear what they're saying? And at this point, Jesus doesn't even answer him. You know, he will answer the chief priest when the chief priest asks him, tell me, are you the Messiah? But he's not going to answer all of these trumped up charges. It's irrelevant. He will answer Pilate when Pilate, in his official capacity, must ask Jesus about these charges brought against him, which Pilate does, and Jesus answers. But then when these other, these other accusations come up from the Jews, Jesus doesn't answer. Uh, Pilate says, aren't you going to answer? Jesus just remains silent. In all four Gospels, at some point in these hearings, Jesus remains silent, which again brings to mind uh, Isaiah 53, verse 7, as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. So he didn't speak, and, and that's fulfilled here. All the four Gospels uh, make reference to that. And so the governor is greatly amazed. Uh, obviously, he is um, not disposed to put Jesus to death. In fact, uh, his, his opinion of Jesus is uh, higher than that. He's amazed at Jesus here. But this is the hearing. This is what happens. This is what has to happen as the Jews are trying to get the Romans to bite on this charge that Jesus is a, 
is, a resur- is, a, is an insurrectionist, that he's a threat to Rome. Uh, lend some irony. And then to the next part, we've seen his hearing. Now we see his rejection uh, before Pilate. And this picks up with verse 13. Matthew uh, has a note of explanation here that at the Passover feast each year, there was a uh, paschal amnesty. Paschal referring to the uh, Passover lamb, the Passover season. There was an amnesty. It was sort of a uh, freebie uh, for the Jewish people, this custom that had arisen that at Passover each year, they could have one prisoner released uh, by the authorities, any one prisoner whom they wanted. And he tells us in verse 16, they at that time had a prisoner called Barabbas, a notorious prisoner. The word may have more the idea of a notable or conspicuous, a well-known. Notorious sounds vaguely negative. Uh, Maybe from the Roman point of view he was. From the Jewish point of view, he may have been seen as a hero, uh, sort of a freedom fighter uh, kind kind of guy. Uh, some of the scriptures, some of the translations refer to him as a robber, more likely an insurrectionist, uh, inciting rebellion against Rome because robbery didn't carry the death penalty, let alone crucifixion. Uh, insurrection, rebelling against Rome did. And so apparently, uh, whatever else he was, that's what Barabbas was. There's another twist here. In some, very few, but some old manuscripts, it gives us... Barabbas' first name, Jesus. Now, we don't know if that's accurate. Is that the preferred reading or the way the ESV goes, which leaves that out? Well, if you think about it, it's more likely that a scribe later copying this would be, willing, would be more likely to leave the name Jesus out out of deference to the real Jesus, the Savior Jesus, than any would be you know, likely to put that name in, uh, which would be more likely to happen. Uh, hard to say. It's, it's sort of inconclusive, but it is interesting to think that if this man was uh, Jesus bar Abbas, you know, it, it sort of helps us understand why Pilate would say, do you want me to release for you Jesus bar Abbas or Jesus who is called Christ? Which Jesus will it be? Uh, we don't know for certain. That's interesting to think about. Bar Abbas, an interesting name in its own right, means son of the father or, by extension, son of a certain master or teacher, son of the master, son of the teacher. So we have this man, Barabbas, here. And when the crowd had gathered to make known their choice for amnesty, Pilate says to them, Who is it? Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas? Or possibly Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus who is called Christ? Because Pilate was on to them. You know, this, this man was not... Stupid. He knew that the Jewish leaders wouldn't say, oh, we're concerned because this Jesus is a threat to Rome. And we so love our Roman masters, we wouldn't want anything to threaten their rule over us. Pilate knew better than that. He knew if they were bringing this man out of concern that this man was a threat to Roman order, something else was going on. And in fact, Matthew says in verse 18, he knew it was out of envy that they delivered him up. Pilate had been there. Pilate knew the kind of crowds Jesus was drawing. Pilate was certainly aware of what happened on Palm Sunday with that great entrance into Jerusalem. You know, Pilate kept his ear to the ground. He knew what was going on. He knew who Jesus was. He knew the crowds he was drawing. He knew the adulation that he had enjoyed. And he also knew that the Jewish leaders were a little bit jealous because Jesus was drawing the crowds and they weren't. That bothered them. 
He knew it wasn't they were concerned about Rome and its rule. They were, they were envious. Jesus was bothering them in some other way, and they wanted to get rid of them. Something else interesting happened that led up to all of this. While he was there, his wife uh, sends word to her husband, to Pilate, don't have anything to do with this man, this innocent man. Righteous, uh, maybe rendered innocent would be the sense. This man's innocent. Don't have anything to do with him because I've suffered much of him because of him today in a dream. Well, perhaps while that word gets to him and he's contemplating that, the Jewish authorities have time to work the crowd a little bit, you know, to indicate their preferred choice for the recipient of the amnesty to be let go, to be released. Then it wasn't Jesus the Christ, it was Barabbas. Now, you think about it, you wonder why the people would turn against Jesus the way they did and call for Barabbas rather than Jesus. A couple of things going on. One, no doubt the Jewish leaders made it known they preferred Barabbas over Jesus, over Christ. Two, if their own leaders, the Sanhedrin, made it clear Barabbas was the man, not Jesus Christ, and Pilate seemed to be favoring Jesus, their dislike of Pilate, their dislike of Rome, their resentment toward Rome would be enough to tip them toward Barabbas. But certainly on a spiritual level, even deeper than those considerations, uh, there's that natural enmity, that natural hostility toward Jesus. And perhaps that admiration for Barabbas, who was a rebellious insurrectionist, a hero, that made them choose Barabbas over Christ. And so verse 20, the chief priests, the elders, persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. It wasn't just let Barabbas go and keep Jesus locked up, but to release Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. And so the governor, Pilate, Verse 21 says to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Since that's not what Pilate wanted to hear. Barabbas really was a threat. Jesus was not, at least not to Rome in the way he thought of it. And so he says, well, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And then verse 23, his declaration of innocence why? What evil has he done? Why crucify this man? He's done nothing deserving crucifixion, deserving execution. And the crowd is insistent. They shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing but what every Roman ruler feared most, a riot was beginning to form disorder, uh, rebellion. He took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Now, the the washing may itself have been a a mocking of the Jews, because he knew these Jews, he knew their proclivity for all the ceremonial washings and rituals. Remember, uh, the Jewish leaders came up to Jesus and fought with his disciples, saying, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. What's up with that? And Pilate may have been mocking them in that very act, because that was not typically a Roman thing. The Romans weren't known for that, Uh, perhaps for general uh, hygiene maybe, but not for these kinds of hand washings in a ceremonial way like the Jews were. 
And so washing his hands before them, sort of mocking them, he says, look, I'm innocent of this man's blood. No, he wasn't. He could say that, but he really wasn't. But certainly in his his peak, in his irritation with his crowd, he uh, hands it over to them. See to it yourselves. This is your business. And their response is absolutely chilling. His blood be on us and on our children. Some have accused Christians and accused on the basis of this verse of being of, of anti-Semitism. You know, the Jews were guilty of the death of Jesus. Well, nothing could be further from the truth, certainly not on the basis of this verse. For one thing, Matthew was a Jew and records this statement. Uh, for another thing, it's all of us who are guilty for Jesus' death. It was for our sins that he died, and, and Pilate himself, a Gentile, was complicit. The Romans were complicit in the death of Jesus. But they do call down guilt upon themselves in this verse for what was about to happen. It's interesting that Peter, in the, verse, the verses we read earlier in Acts 3, points out that they acted in ignorance, and they did. They, they really didn't fully understand what they were doing. But you also see the grace of God that came back to them and said, you know, now repent. You see that God has raised him. He's poured out the Holy Spirit. He's begun his new covenant people. That he offers you a new amnesty to return to him. You acted in ignorance. Yes, his blood is on your hands, but return to him and you will receive forgiveness and times of refreshing from the Lord until that time that Jesus returns and brings in the fullness of our salvation. So that's the, third, the second uh, scene that we see here is that rejection of Jesus. And remember what John said, John 1. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Came to his own people. Came to that which was his own, which belonged to him. He came to those descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who had been cultivated and prepared all those years through the Old Testament. And we saw their sinfulness uh, even then. And his own people did not receive him. And here you have that demonstrated in a very specific way. This, this man Barabbas or this man Jesus? And they said, not Jesus, Barabbas. We want the political ruler. We want the military leader. We want that hero who's going to lead us against these Romans. We don't want the Messiah. We don't want the Holy One. We don't want the King of Kings. But then the third scene here is simply Jesus being handed over. To his death. Verse 26. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, which, by the way, was itself sufficient to bring on death. The uh, Roman flagellum, uh, the whip, uh, similar later to the British cat of nine tails, the flagellum, uh, a whip that at the end had various. Uh, uh, various strips of leather with bits of stone or flecks of lead plated into it uh, was enough not only to leave the skin uh, a bloody pulp, but even to remove skin to the point of exposing bone uh, or even one's uh, inward parts. And itself was often sufficient to bring on death. Pilate had Jesus scourged and then handed him over to be crucified, which was precisely what the Jewish leaders wanted. But as we read this, we read it not as bare history. We read it in light of the fact that Jesus was the Savior. 
that if you're a Christian here today, that Jesus was your Savior. What we see here is the fulfillment, the living out of that prophecy of Isaiah, where he says, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, as happened here, the iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to endure this suffering for us. That even this, even prior to the cross, was your humbling yourself, becoming obedient even to the point of death. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you suffered this humiliation. You suffered this pain. Not because you deserved it, but because we did. We are the rebels. We are the ones who have been guilty of insurrection against the living God. And Lord, you endured this for us. You took that charge. You took that guilt. You took that punishment upon yourself. And we thank you. We pray it in your own name. Amen.